As you are able in body and spirit, I invite you to rise as we hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's recorded in Luke's gospel, the fourth chapter. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing, ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and only serve him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the word of our Christ. Thanks be to Christ. You may be seated. Will you join me in prayer? May the words of my mouth, the thoughts and the meditations of each of our hearts be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer, our hope, our companion. Amen. In his book, A Month of Sundays, Eugene Peterson shares the thoughts and the provoking words of Thomas Merton. Thomas Merton says, The Desert Fathers believed that the wilderness had been created as supremely valuable in the eyes of God precisely because it had no value to men. The wasteland was the land that could never be wasted by men because it offered them nothing. There was nothing to attract them. There was nothing to exploit. The desert was the region in which the chosen people had wandered for 40 years, cared for by God alone. They could have reached the promised land in a few months if they traveled directly to it. God's plan was that they should learn to love God in the wilderness and that they should always look back upon this time in the desert as an idyllic time of their life with Him alone. I wonder what Thomas Merton was under the influence of. I trust that one who is considered to be one of the greatest theologians of the age was not totally out of his ever-loving mind. 
You see, I've never considered the wilderness as idyllic. In fact, it's just the opposite for me. The wilderness is one step away from hell for me. I don't know how you consider the time spent in the wilderness life, but I don't believe many people I know are lining up to go on a field trip into the wilderness today. We got enough of our own wildernesses. The wilderness for the children of Israel was harsh and unforgiving. It all started by being beaten by the outstretched arm of Pharaoh and then followed by the same stiff arm hoping, hoping to beat them into oppression and submission and to do all he wanted. The wilderness was so difficult to traverse, so hard that they were met by unfriendly people, by rough terrain, by dry land of no water, food deserts, abounding and complete emptiness and heat and boredom and craziness. It took them 40 years to get to the promised land instead of what should have been about four months. What's idyllic about that? And then Jesus comes along, giving himself to God through his baptism and then to God's total call upon his life. This Jesus, according to one of the writers of the gospel, is pushed by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. A life that was already going to be difficult enough was put through the ringer of difficulty, through pain and loneliness, fear, uncertainty, hunger, hatred, loss, and so much more. What kind of God would do this? What kind of God would allow this to happen to the one whom God claims to be God's own? Where is God's everlasting love for God's own son? In the wilderness? For God's own people? Where is that love? That's not really something to look back on with nostalgic. Many of us understand that the wilderness is a metaphor for the difficult parts of our life, the difficult times and seasons where we've struggled, where it seems the worst of our times. We've all taken a trip once or more into the wilderness, and I dare say any of us would call it idyllic. I remember a trip 25 years ago Sally was pregnant with our third child, and she awoke feeling that something wasn't right. The two of us headed to the doctor's office to have our doctor look and see what was up, and he was out, but his partner was in, and the doctor performed a sonogram on Sally. He looked up to us and said, well, go home and rest. Soon enough, the fetus will pass out. And while you're heading out, schedule yourself a DNC. I don't know about you, but that was not joyful news. Every bone in my body turned to jello and I collapsed to the floor. Sally on the table, me on the floor, and the doctor said, well, these things happen. We went home 
And we told those who needed to know at the church what was going on. And the church, which was Faith United Methodist in Cartersville, began to pray for us. And somehow they went out through their channels and got the Church of God to pray for us. <laughs> and they believed in power of prayer, Shella. But Sally got sicker, and I had to take care of her, try and get my mother-in-law to come visit and help and write a sermon for Sunday morning. Sally, a true introvert, was embarrassed by all the attention, and she was dealing with the grief of loss and still sick as a dog. She was parched, and I was dry. No words were coming for that sermon. How do you praise a God who took a baby? Sally and I traveled for four days in a wilderness of worry, fear, doubt, anger, frustration, tears, and so much more. There were no words of encouragement or the phrase that it will be okay that seemed to help. No similar stories of pregnancies brought the comfort that people thought they were bringing. It just made it worse. I remember reaching out to my district superintendent, MacArthur Brantley, at the time. Mac was a man who was a true mentor to me, a father figure. And I remember asking him, is God punishing me because I've sinned? I have a theological degree. I'm supposed to know that answer. But I turned to one I trusted and asked it. He wrapped his arms around me and held me while I sobbed into him, whispering, No, God loves you, and God doesn't work this way, but God is with you. I don't know how I preached that Sunday, but somehow God got something out and the people seemed okay with it in a strange and wonderful way, even if I couldn't feel what I was preaching. And still, they called on the name of the Lord. The church of God called on the name of the Lord for his salvation and for this child. Hundreds of people were praying in Cartersville, Georgia. Sally's embarrassed. I'm just lost. On Monday, Sally was still sick and untrusting of the doctor we had seen asked to go and to see her doctor. We went back, and seeing him this time, Ben invited us into the exam room, took another sonogram, looked at the paperwork that his partner had written up on, looked at us, looked at the paperwork his partner had written on again, and said, well, she looks fine to me. She's going to be a healthy girl from what I can tell. The only thing I could say is, y'all got a miracle. And the sun shined, the breezes began to blow, the refreshing waters flowed, and life bloomed all around us for many more months till Katie appeared, healthy, large, and in charge, still to this day. It seems so much easier to go it alone and to struggle and to suffer than to call on the name of the Lord. We're taught from birth to be self-made individuals who stand on our own, 
who make it on our own, owe nothing to anyone else, not even God. Traverse the wilderness alone like a man. Go through the dark valleys like a strong-willed woman. Make your own way like a stoic individual. Depend on no one. This temptation to pull ourselves up from our own bootstraps is just that, a temptation. A temptation of the enemy of God that seeks to trick us into thinking we don't need anyone. We definitely don't need God. We can save ourselves. Trying to save ourselves, beloved, has never, ever worked. And such a temptation only leads to death. Not physical, but surely emotional and surely spiritual. That's why Paul reminds us in the book of Romans this morning that the way through the wilderness is simply to call upon the name of the Lord our God, and we shall be saved. We shall be saved, but not necessarily taken out of the wilderness, but still saved. Call upon the Lord, all people. God has an ear to hear from every Jew and Gentile, male and female, old and young, black, brown, yellow, red, olive, gray gay, straight, poor, whole, or broken, and you shall be saved because God loves you. We can be saved no matter what the wilderness is like that we are going through at this moment in our lives. We can be saved no matter what temptation is placed upon us. We can become people who in the midst of our doubt and fear find clarity and courage to live to live for Jesus Christ if we will call upon the name of the Lord. Now, I can't tell you what you should say when you call. There are no prescribed words to use, at least that I know of. Maybe it's just Lord. All I know is that when we call upon the Lord, or others call upon the Lord on our behalf, he, out of His great love and His great strength, will save us. Save us from each and every situation of wilderness living. Oh, preacher, are we talking about eternal salvation, heaven, streets of gold, and all of that? Well, forget the streets of gold. They're not there. I hate to burst your bubble. But yes, we're talking about eternal salvation, but we're also talking about moment-by-moment moment living. Yes, we're talking about both, and it happens when we admit our need for God's intervention and call upon the Lord. This Lent, you and I will be traveling through one wilderness after another. Heck, we've been traveling in one for almost three years now. The people of the Ukraine are traveling through a wilderness. The people of color have been traveling through one majority of their life. The church is traveling through one, and you and I, each one will have one again and again and again because this is life. I want us to see this journey through the wilderness with the eyes of Thomas Merton and find the ways it might draw us closer to the love of God. God's plan was that they should learn to love God in the wilderness and that they should always look back upon the time in the desert as idyllic time of their life with God alone.
Don't let it be a wasted time. How it might make us depend on nothing and no one but God. The journey is possible. The journey is possible together. If we all call upon the name of the Lord, He will save us. He will save you. And He will save me. He will save St. Mark. He will save His people. Journeying through the wilderness, we call. We call together. And God will hear. And God will save us. In the name of the Creator and the Savior and the Providing Spirit. Amen.